Bella Shark do 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 Bella Shark do 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 Bella Shark do 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 Bella Shark Trick or treat you're listening to the Nibbler podcast the Twilight Book Club for Predators His touch seemed to sweep beneath the surface of my skin right through the bones of my face The feeling was tingly, electric. It jolted through my bones, down my spine, and trembled in my stomach. Wait, I thought as the trembling blossomed into a warmth, a yearning. Wasn't I supposed to lose this? Wasn't giving up this feeling a part of the bargain? I was a newborn vampire. The dry, scorching ache in my throat gave proof to that and I knew what being a newborn entailed. Human emotions and longings would come back to me later in some form, but I'd accepted that I would not feel them in the beginning, only thirst. That was the deal, the price. I'd agreed to pay it. But as Edward's hand curled to the shape of my face like satin-covered steel, desire raced through my dried-out veins, singing from my scalp to my toes. He arched one perfect eyebrow, waiting for me to speak. I threw my arms around him. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And spooky Halloween and election week. Yeah, don't even talk about the latter. (laughs) What's scarier? (laughs) The day that shall not be named... Is upcoming, and believe it or not, Twilight has been a balm for both of our souls. Yeah, seriously. It's soothed a lot of election month anxiety for me. Turns out, this is my favorite book. (laughs) I like no book more than I like the second half of Twilight Breaking Dawn. Technically, it is book three, Bella. Because remember, it goes Bella Jacob Book three of book four. Book three of book four of Twilight, a.k.a. Twilight Breaking Dawn. By Stephanie Meyer. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's who wrote it. So if you are keeping up plot-wise, we are starting right, not even after. We're starting right after Renesmee's birth and during Bella's transformation. And Jacob's transformation into a guy that wants to do it with a baby. Oh, my God. Wow, we went there right away. <laughs> so, spoilers, such as that one. And uh, cursing abounds in this episode. I didn't use any verbs there. We will spoil. We will curse. We will also talk adult themes. This week's adult themes are, I don't think I know how to make a podcast anymore. We successfully made one last week. Yeah, I know. People were split if we, on its efficacy <laughs> as a podcast. If we get this out by Halloween, which we better, because I said trick-or-treat in the opening, we will have made the most podcasts per month per month than like we have in like 2020. But hey, you know, it's 2020, been it's been a, a year. Okay, one more time. This week's adult themes are helicopter moms, unlikely animal friendships, color contacts, arbitration, and happy endings. Aw. Which, you know, very few of us get these days. But Bella sure as shit did. Alex, this is going to be something to behold. What happened in this book? All right. Uh, you know, the Twilight summaries 
they are they're marathons they're not sprints for me uh but i've had about a half a bottle of red wine yeah your lips are all stained like bella's are the color of blood so spooky halloween i am i have had half a glass of wine yeah. And uh, I, Alex is I, way ahead of me. I, I got to catch up while you do your summary. I had the lion's share of, uh, I think I drank it kind of fast, so it hasn't hit me yet. So I think I'm getting progressively drunker, probably. While as you this, summarize. As this summary goes. I'm going to have to so, catch up. Yeah. All right. It's going to be, I mean, we're going to be getting out of this summary in like an hour. So everybody buckle up tight. Maybe grab yourself a glass of red wine. Grab yourself a glass of red wine. If you're listening to this after Halloween and you're in a place where there's super long voting lines, maybe just put this in your pocket and listen to this while you're waiting to vote. It will keep you deeply strange company. If you're listening to this after November 3rd. God knows what universe you are in. Godspeed. Good luck to you, friend. Future future listeners also if you're not american sorry oh yeah sorry there's an election coming up in the united states um which presumably you were aware of (laughs) please vote okay it's like the u.s just voice its business on everybody else and just makes it theirs we're the noisiest fucking neighbor on earth okay well we're including ourselves in that though right because we're talking about this pretty incessantly please just summarize this fucking okay okay i'm always stalling because It's going to be hell. The summaries. No, it's going to be great. I'm really excited. Okay, Okay. go. In book three of Breaking Dawn by Stephanie Meyer, uh, there's a preface to the book. Wait, did you know Stephanie misspells her name? She doesn't misspell it. It's just how her name is spelled. Okay, well, it's not how Stephanie the name is spelled. She can spell it however she wants. I know. I'm. That's one thing that I remain such a snob about, but it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E, which is just not how you spell Stephanie. With Probably apologies to everybody else. Someone named name- Stephanie whose name is spelled like that might be listening right okay, now. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm sure they are lovely and they're, they're whoever wrote out their birth certificate misspelled their name. Stephanie Meyer might be listening right now. God, that would rule. I would rather, I have to tell you, I would rather Stephanie Meyer listen to this podcast than J.K. Rowling because I think she... Has a slightly thicker skin. I think Stephanie Meyer, way more likely also to uh, listen to this podcast. Do you know what I, don't I know. Okay. We do swear a lot. That's true. Actually, can I tell you something? God, we're never going to get to the summary, but this is nice. <laughs> no, I was, I read lately, I was talking to a friend at work who didn't know that Fifty Shades of Grey started out as Twilight fan fiction. And that person asked basically like, what does Stephanie Meyer think of Fifty Shades of Grey? Is she pissed? And I read this whole article about how it would have been really easy for Stephanie Meyer to sue, especially for the movie rights, especially once Fifty Shades got made into a movie. But Stephanie Meyer is chill as hell. And she was like, look, I haven't read them. They're too smutty. Like, I don't read porn, essentially. But like, more power to her. Yeah, good for you. And like, took no legal action, made no fuss. She seems like she minds her own business and writes her like kind of bad weird vampire books and just like lets other people live i think i might like her wow it's very chill of her to have made zero fuss about 50 shades yeah that is dope because i think el james got richer than stephanie meyer did they might be equal rich i don't know the economics of all this but anyway we have a book to summarize okay, so sorry but i just thought that was nice let me try this again okay go
in book three of Breaking Dawn by Stephanie Meyer. This book is entitled, I think it's just entitled Bella. It's Bella, Jacob, and then Bella. Because in our last Nibbler episode, uh, Jacob like narrated half of it. And he had the like super long chapter titles. They're like, hated Jacob. hey, I'm walking here. And uh, this is the next chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of all of Jacob's like, it just sounds like things the guy at like the end of a bar would say. Or if you like bumped into him, like... <laughs> Okay. Anyway. Holy cow. Well, what, it's only been seven minutes. I guess we're not doing Dude, that Dude, it's badly. fine, man. Anyway, this book three starts with the preface. All these Twilight books, they start with like something like deeper into the future, given no context. Basically, she's like, I promise you the book gets exciting. <laughs> it's called a preface. In 300 pages, you might encounter something like this. So in the preface, Bella is facing down... The, well, what we know is the Volturi, like, she doesn't say they're the Volturi. Uh, they're, like, outnumbered. She's panicking, but she has to guard something precious. Could it be a baby? No, it's a it's a beautiful golden ring. It's a ring. Uh, Alex is reading Lord of the Rings, which, that's for the those other of way you I'm self-soothing. keeping track, is insufferable. Because only one of us doing what both of us normally do about Harry Potter is the worst. <laughs> Sorry, good heavens. Bella's outnumbered, she's panicking, but then she feels this fierce determination to guard the precious one, and a growl rips through her bared teeth. So I think Bella's probably going to come out of her vampire coma, which is how book three begins. Bella is in a vampire coma. There's big, long descriptions about... She kind of has, like, these, like, snatches of... What a weird way to interact with these books if you don't read them, because clearly a lot of people haven't, and they just know the Twilight books as told by me. Which is... That is a fucking privilege, and a, it's a heavy responsibility. <laughs> heavy anyway, the head. Anyway, Bella's having all these kind of, like, dim memories of the things that happened to her while Edward and Jacob were delivering the baby, which, they're not obstetricians. What Carlisle. The, yeah. Really no, didn't. no, they didn't. It was Jacob and Edward. What was Carlisle doing? Uh, Carlisle was out hunting or something. I don't remember the mechanics, but this baby was delivered by Jacob and Edward. Anyway, yeah, that's the worst at some thing point, I've ever heard. Bella hears that the placenta has detached, so I don't know how Edward and slash Jacob knew what to do about that. But they figured it out. They successfully delivered the baby. Okay, Bella successfully van- delivered the baby. Actually, not the. That's true. They would have definitely killed the mother if. I mean, they did kill the mother. Uh, whoa, you're right. Like, <laughs> so in this chapter, Jacob and Edward murder Bella. So they are over one in maternal mortality. Yeah, maternal mortality. That uh, should have been one of our adult themes. Oh except, yeah, fuck because Ooh, that's actually that's very, not actually funny. And not at all. It's anyway, very serious and sad. so she kind of dimly remembers the birth. And then she's having, there's like very florid descriptions of like the intense pain she's been in because she's been injected with Edward's vampire cum. I mean, venom. Ew. Also, do you remember how she's under morphine this whole time? Do you remember that part? No, not really. Like kind of. Okay, so I. Also, we read, I fin- we finished reading this book in like June with the intention of recording this episode and, you know, 2020. So it's been a while, but we've all brushed up. Actually, correction, Alex finished this book in June. I finished this book in March and then I finished this book in June and then I finished this book last week. Because we kept not recording and I had to keep remembering what happened and you only read it one time and I have now read it. I mean, I 
like I have passages memorized probably. Anyway, one of the like weird fucked up things about You're a very good co-host. No, I just forget what happens in books really easily. You have a much better memory than I do. Anyway, what about the morphine? Well, so Carlisle, who's usually right about things, is deeply, deeply wrong. And he has this idea that if they inject Bella with enough morphine, they can basically like prevent her from experiencing the excruciating pain of transitioning to vampirehood. So they don't do that. They just fucking paralyze her. So she can't move and can't respond to the pain, but feels the pain. So she's like trapped. It's actually really scary. It's a, it's kind of, it's not like well written, but it's written. Um, (laughs) Because yeah, they give her so much morphine that she is sort of like in a morphine coma. So she can feel everything, but she can't like move or like scream. So this whole time she's narrating from behind this sort of like curtain of like immobility. And she's like, it's really good that they paralyzed me because I don't want Edward to know how much I was suffering. So she never tells Edward how much it like hurt to transition. She like hides it from him because she's like, he would feel so much pain if he knew about my pain. And you're just like, fuck this book. Why are we reading this? But also this is very So she sort of got like sleep paralysis. Yeah, she has like... Which is the thing I have. I think we've talked about your weird hypnagogic hallucinations. Yeah. For somebody anyway. who's really afraid of ghosts, you're pretty chill with there just being like spectral beings Visions like, in, the room. in our room yeah. all the time. Anyway, uh, wow. that's the thing about me. Damn, Isn't Bella. Isn't there sometimes a lady sitting at the end of the bed? Not a lady. I think that's another ghost story. No, no, no. In your spectral visions. Like, I have like, when I am have sleep paralysis, I have like sensations of like... Sometimes it's like giant cobwebs Ooh. or sometimes there's Do like people, like I presences. I have a nightmare about a woman sitting on the end of my bed and I just thought it was you. Spooky Halloween. I've been thinking a lot about ghosts lately, not because of this book. Anyway, go on. There's no ghosts in this book, weirdly. Yeah, there's ghosts in Harry Potter, but yeah. that's not why either. I mean, anyway. So, but Bella does eventually wake up. And she's a vampire. And she's a vampire. And she's blown away by her new vampire super senses. Everything looks beautiful around her. And she gets instantly obsessed with motherfucking dust. Which she can see. (laughs) Really clearly. Which Bella can see in atomic detail. Do you remember how long that description is i'm gonna have to there's like a whole description about like every dust moat looks like she can see the light side and the dark side yeah yeah no it's like a page about dust so this book is a book that contains this book one of the most popular books of like i don't know the of all time of of all time really probably in terms of sales one of the more one of the more popular books of the last 20 years contains this line quote the dust was so beautiful that I inhaled in shock, unquote. Well, then she breathed in all that dust, which is bad for your lungs, except (laughs) she doesn't have to breathe, it turns out. So Bella's just tripping out, looking at dust. (laughs) It says, I did not need the air, but I liked it. We're four pages in. in. I could taste the room around me, taste the lovely dust motes, (laughs) the mix of stagnant air mingling with the flow of slightly cooler air from the open door. Wow. The lovely dust motes. I mean, this is just, like I said, it's not good writing, but it sure is writing. So this is a dust fan account now. <laughs> oh, God. Bella wakes up and she's she like. She writes that there's like a part about dust bunnies, too. 
I don't know. She has like a weird dust thing. Dust bunnies are sentient to vampires. That's another, there's a whole like dust. That's a twist. Dust bunnies are real rabbits, but they only exist in the spectral vampire world. We talked about rabbits on the last episode. Of yeah, every episode is just going to contain a very weird bunny reference from now <laughs> Bunnies on. belong to Mother Earth. So anyway, Bella wakes up and she's like, do you see all this dust? It's fucking amazing. <laughs> Edward's like, Bella, my love. And she's like, have you ever really looked at dust before? <laughs> Like, really looked at dust. It reminds me of that kind of classic stoned conversation, which I had IRL before I knew it was a cliche. (laughs) Shout out to my beloved friend, Ben, who was like, do you think what I see as purple and what you see as purple is the same thing? And then I remember seeing that in like a movie and I was like, does everybody have this conversation (laughs) about colors? Because like, that felt revolutionary. So Bella eventually, she fucking comes to and she's like, Edward, the first thing we got to do is get rid of the dust buster because I love dust. I can't now. get enough of this shit. <laughs> um, no dust busters in this house. We are never cleaning again, my love. The Cullens, they kind of gather protectively around her because, you know, newborn vampires, as we learned in Twilight Eclipse, are they're like super strong and they're pretty unpredictable because they have a ravenous thirst. So... One of the early complications in this, which isn't really a complication because everything, spoiler alert, turns out mostly fucking fine. Not even mostly. Yeah. 100% entirely. Is, all the way. N- completely you know, fine. There are no problems for these people. Yeah. The clones are like, okay, we have to keep Bella from like ripping any human's throats out, but also from killing her own baby because Renezme is warm blooded. She has blood that flows through her veins, even though she also, she can eat human food and likes it, but she likes No, she doesn't like human more. food. She hates it. Oh, yeah. She hates human food, but she can eat it. Yeah, and like survive. She, she gets prefers nutrients. blood. She prefers human blood. Yeah, which like, is she still which, like, eating like donated blood? I think so. Gross. But they gotta be like, girl, this is not the lifestyle this family has chosen. But anyway, that's for a later book. I don't think there's gonna be a sequel. So before Bella can see Renezme. The baby's name is Renesme. It's a portmanteau of Renee, Bella's mom, and Esme, Edward's mom. Just a reminder for those of you that aren't twihards Esme is not like Bella's we are. Mom. We are twihards. Edward I mean, is be- oh, Ed- his adoptive mother. Yeah, who he in like- the vampire found family. Actually, this is a nice depiction of found families. Except there's like too much found family fucking, but. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop interrupting you. We're, this is going to take us for fucking ever. I think people are going to enjoy the fact that this is three and a half hours long because we all need to listen to three and a half hours of, of nothing, just almost just nothing. white noise. So you're welcome. Can okay. you please hand me the wine bottle? Yep. Should we do some Foley work here? Yep. I wonder if this will show up. We'll see. Clink. I guess we should just kill the bottle, huh? Yeah, obviously. Thanks, honey. Wow, you did drink a lot of wine. I drank a lot of this bottle of wine. (laughs) That's why this episode is so good. Is wine drunk a wittier drunk? I don't know. That seems like bullshit. It just makes me more flushed. That's all I know for sure. So anyway, Belle and Edward go out for their first hunt. I don't remember. Alice like gives her like a present, like a clothing present. A clothing present. (laughs) 
I gotta find more artful ways to phrase some of these things. She gives her like a super sexy dress and stilettos. Does she go hunting in the stilettos? No, she takes them off and throws them at Alice and it's like a whole... Oh, it's a whole thing. Emmett like LOLs or some shit. Because Bella doesn't like to wear Emmett like... probably chuckles 7,000 times. Edward chuckles way more. No, Emmett is constantly chuckling. Chuckling Emmett... is Stephanie one of Stephanie Meyer's favorite words. Emmett is also just a full idiot. If you ain't chuckling in these books, you ain't shit. Also, I was reminded that the actor that plays Emmett is Kellen Lutz, who is, I don't know if IRL, but he is the character Lutz's grandnephew in 30 Rock and appears in an episode of 30 Rock with Lutz, the character, who's, anyway, God, sorry, this is unimportant, but I was very excited that Emmett was in 30 Rock. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, anyway, they go hunting. Bella can, like, run super fast. She's, like, very graceful. Because remember before, she was, like, really clumsy. She, like, tripped a lot. Um, she wasn't just clumsy. She had some kind of, like, inner I mean, ear who, thing. Who like the fuck something knows, was man? Something was off. Anyway. Like, she should have gone to the doctor. <laughs> she had, like, vertigo. Also, Bella's, like, hot as fuck now. Because she she's like, a vampire. already hot. She was, like, fine before, I guess. I don't know. She's, like whiter now i mean right isn't she like hella pale i think so she's actually backlit alabaster is one description that i remember because i was like (laughs) again it's not good writing but it's writing (laughs) so they go hunting there's like a deer at some point but she doesn't it smells unappetizing to her edward's like you'll get used to it bella catches wind of some human scent but she's able to resist she has to, like, take a moment to compose herself, but she doesn't go straight for the humans. And eventually she eats a mountain lion. So sucks if you're a mountain lion in these books. Edward is amazed at Bella's self-control and composure. And her her thirst sated, she goes to meet Baby, um, which is, I don't know, it's a lovely moment. She doesn't eat the baby, so that is a win. Um, and, you know, she just, she loves Renesmee. More than anything, Bella's pretty much fine holding her. But Jacob, who has been hanging around this whole time because he imprinted in the last, in the earlier chapters, Jacob imprinted on Renesmee. And quick recap, Jacob's a werewolf and uh, werewolves, they can imprint on someone who's like destined to be their soulmate and they can never be with anyone else. And that's how it works. So anyway, because Jacob imprinted on Renesmee, he's pretty much like a live-in au pair for... Yeah, they've got childcare <laughs> yeah. locked down. Him and which... Rosalie. Rosalie is like baby crazy because she didn't ever want to become a vampire. Rosalie's one of the vampire sisters of Edwards from like the Roaring Twenties or some shit. They're like kind of tag teaming childcare duties. So anyway, Jacob is like sort of nervous having Bella around because he's afraid Bella's going to eat the baby. At some point, Bella finds out that Jacob imprinted on her baby and is in love with her so cool 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 all right all right no doubt no doubt uh yeah i know they say like we've explained all this before he just Just like wants her to be safe and happy and until she's like then later it's like fine for them to like go out it's very strange iffy did you talk about the most important thing about renesmee yet i'm getting to that okay so also jacob is nicknamed renesmee nessie which frankly is a more reasonable name. It's very cute. Yeah, it's cute. So Bella hates it. Bella is enraged that Jacob would A, imprint on 
her infant, which basically means he has to follow her around and be, like, romantically obsessed with her forever, and also that she nicknamed her after the Loch Ness Monster, which I don't actually think was the intent. I think Bella is, like, reading too much into that. Also, Renesmee has a stupid name. Yeah, you're not going to be like, hey, Renesmee, Renesmee, Nessie, much easier, or Ness. It's cute. So, fully recovered, Bella starts to enjoy her new life and vampire abilities, Salient fact about Renesmee, she is growing incredibly fast. No, Alex, you're leaving out the most important thing about Renesmee. What's the most important thing? She can fucking show people her thoughts. Oh, yeah. She has a superpower. So every vampire is also like a member of the X-Men, basically, and has a power, including Renesmee, Not even though she's like half. Vampire. Okay, most vampires. No, only half the family. Rosalie can't do shit. Emmett can't do shit. No, Emmett's super strong. No, but he's not super strong. He's just, like, strong. He's, like, Beast, Rosalie, who is an X-Man. Rosalie, and his thing is he's super strong and he looks like a beast. Genuinely can't do okay, shit. Okay, so everyone has superpowers except for Rosalie. And Esme. Esme has the power to love. Everybody has that. That's not real. That's okay. not a power. Well, they're all actually super powered because they're super fast and super strong and live forever. Okay. But anyway, some of them have extra powers, which is why Stan Lee called them the X-Men, because they have an extra power. That's not true. Yeah, it is. I watched, I had a VHS tape of Night of the Sentinels, which was the X-Men cartoon show, the first episode of the X-Men cartoon show from the 90s. And there was an interview with Stan Lee and the bonus features, which I don't know if they were at the end of the beginning. See, kids back then, you couldn't just, actually DVDs are even old now. Yeah. You couldn't just go to the extra features. You had to watch them at the beginning at the end of the tape. Anyway, Stan Lee explained, X-Men, extra power. Have we talked it was the 60s. on the podcast yet about Mr. Yes, X's School for Monsters? Yes, we've talked about Mr. X's School for Monsters, and we shouldn't talk about it anymore. I think we should call this episode <laughs> Mr. X's School for Monsters. We already came up with a good name. Fair. Okay, so Renesmee has a special power. She can show people her thoughts by touching them. That's the power, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can like let people into her head by touching them. So... That's cool. Also, she's growing super fast and, like, acquiring language and doing all these other things. Like, six months in, she's, like, the size of, like, a three-year-old or something like that. Like, I don't remember the exact... Specs. Like, specs. But it's, like, freak... It freaks the clones out because they're like, oh, my God. Is she going to be, like, 90 years old when she's 15 and then die? So this is a problem that is going to have to be resolved. Werewolf politics update. Basically, the feud between Jacob's like renegade pack and sam's pack is like cleared up because werewolf law says that you can't cock block another werewolf <laughs> so because jacob imprinted on renesmee basically like bro code yeah renesmee is now essentially part of the tribe so the cullens and the werewolves they're cool now they still think each other smell but they have like this unbreakable bond and the hatred between them is dissolved it's Bella's birthday. She's like super weird about birthdays and gifts and stuff. It's her human birthday. Also, she was just born. Uh, I think there's a I was born yesterday joke. But there is, yeah. I don't remember the context and it wasn't that funny. The Cullens give Bella and Edward a cottage as a birthday gift. Also a Ferrari because the Cullens are obsessed with luxury vehicles. And as expected, the decor in the cottage is pretty weird. Here's a description. Every time something that's supposed to be classy is described, it's invariably like, what? <laughs> she says there's like eclectic pieces in the cottage. They, none of them matched 
but they were, quote, harmonious just the same. One chair seemed vaguely medieval, while a low ottoman by the fire was more contemporary, and the stock bookshelf against the far window reminded me of movies set in Italy. What? What is a... What does an Italian movie bookshelf look like? <laughs> like, ah, yes, that shelf holds books in the Italian way. <laughs> really Italian how those books are stacked there on that shelf. What? Maybe it's... <laughs> is there like a furniture section at Italy? Is that where Alice went? I don't know if that's a good joke or not. I don't know. Italy has like... Have we all been to Italy, folks? No. Like, no, probably not. What are you talking about? No. no one's been to Italy in a long time, I imagine. Uh, no one's been anywhere. It's like this. Oh God, I would love some touristy. No, we, all these, we gotta move. We on can't from explain Italy. Italy. Italy is not anyway, part of this. <laughs> there's no the bookshelves from Italy. Edward and Bella do it hard. A lot. Yeah, because Bella's not like gentle now, so they can like go all out. And Bella was really worried that she like wasn't going to want to do it for a long time because she was just going to want to like eat people. But it turns out she super wants to yeah, do it. All her senses are intact. So they go balls to the wall, probably literally at some point. Who the fuck knows? Uh, it's never described in like detail. It's described in, it's not described in like what. Not anatomical detail. No, exactly. Not, not what organ enters what orifice detail, but like it's, Racy, I would say. Not that racy. It was when PG I was 13. a teen. PG-13. It was racy when I read it as a teenager. Well, anyway, they fuck, which leads to a lot of jokes from Emmett. Uh, basically, an idiot. Basically, when Emmett and Rosalie got together, they, like, destroyed, I don't know, multiple houses because they were, like, fucking so hard. So when vampires fuck, it, like, destroys real estate. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole thing. The Cullens are planning to leave Forks because Bella obviously can't be seen around town now that she's a vampire. But Jacob thwarts this plan by revealing himself as a werewolf to Bella's dad, Charlie. He goes up to Charlie and he's like, hey, man, you want to see something fucking insane? And like turns into a werewolf and says... Charlie this whole time has thought that Bella was like at the Mayo Clinic or something like. No, at the CDC. Oh, at the CDC. I don't think they take people to the CDC. Like the CDC CDC doesn't do shit anymore. So, but like, it's not a hospital, is it? Yeah, I don't know. He, they they said she was at like the CDC. She has like a tropical disease. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Bella has COVID. So, (laughs) Jacob says to Charlie, "Look, Bella didn't die. She's just." different now but now you can see you live in a very different world than you thought you did uh don't ask any more questions also in addition to this mind-blowing news your bella and edward have adopted a baby edward's niece so charlie is like obviously happy that bella's not dead undead as it were is that are zombies undead or are vampires undead? I'm thinking I think I'm swapping undead. my terminology. I think anyway, both undead. Charlie eventually goes to visit Bella so as not to freak him out. Bella wears contact lenses, which is frankly a whole scene in which it's described that Bella's never worn contact lenses, but it's not that hard to put them in. And uh, but they're they, uncomfortable. Yeah, and they, they feel weird. They make her vision strange. Again, I think it's probably three pages. About it actually isn't. I looked, but okay. it feels like three pages. I remember when I was listening on audiobook. 
It was like, man. We remember we were listening with Aaron and Drew in Arizona when we were driving back from that hike. And we finally had to turn it off because we were like, it's embarrassing yeah. <laughs> to share with people we love. The contact lens scene. That these books are like a part of our lives at all. That was a bad scene. <laughs> the reunion is like fine and like not really germane to the plot at all, which we'll discuss. Was there any, did anything important happen there? I don't think so. She like learns that she has to sort of like fidget and like blink and sort of fake breathe oh yeah and like sit because vampires don't need to like really sit because they don't get tired which again we will talk about yeah because it's <sighs> nightmarish but she doesn't eat charlie yeah and charlie's like all right like i guess i'm gonna need to know basis i don't want to know anymore i'm just happy you're still around and somehow they are able to convey to renesme who again is a very new infant that she's like not allowed to do her sort of like I don't know, her mind meld trick to Charlie and she just understands that. So that's cool. She's very smart. There's no problems in this book. And then there's <laughs> one big problem and then it's just not actually well, there, a problem. All right. So Bella's enjoying life. Things are great. She challenges and defeats Emmett in an arm wrestling match because he's talking about sex too much. And she thinks to herself, it's like she was born to be a vampire She's found her true place in the world, the place, quote, I shined, which is literally true because she now sparkles because vampires, as we all know, sparkle in the sunlight. So Bella's found her sparkle. Everything's going to be fine. But whoa, complications. The Cullens turn their attention to solving the medical mystery of Renesmee's rapid aging. Edward and Bella also decide they need to go pay a visit to the Volturi which is like the vampire government slash oligarchy that's in Italy to prove she's now a vampire, which means that like a human won't know about the vampires. And then they're going to go to South America to research vampire legends of half human, half vampires to figure out like what the fuck is going to happen to Renesmee. Uh, to fuel up for the journey, she goes out hunting with Renesmee and Jacob, but she's spotted at a distance by Irina, who's one of the sisters from the Denali vampire clan which, I don't know, it's like the allied clan to the Cullens. They're like also vegetarians. I don't know why Arena was coming to visit. Maybe to apologize about something. They were like in a fight. Oh, because Laurent, she was like going to get with Laurent, but then the werewolves killed Laurent and the Cullens are friends with the werewolves. Yeah, so, so the they wolves were like killed her bow. Yeah, but like Laurent was going to kill, kill Bella. Bella. So anyway. It's a whole fucking thing. So Irina sees Jacob, a werewolf, playing with Renesmee and she thinks that Renesmee is a bu 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 motherfucking immortal child. I think we covered this in the last episode, but of the Nibbler, not of the Quibbler podcast. But I don't know, back in the 1300s, some other fucking century, like vampires made babies into vampires because they wanted babies and the vampires were super cute and adorbs, but also, they were murder machines who were uncontrollable and couldn't learn to control their thirst. So the vampire government had to outlaw vampire babies. So Arena is particularly incensed by this because the mother figure in her coven created one of these immortal children how many, however many centuries ago and was executed by the Volturi. So this is the last draw for Arena. She turns tail and runs away super fast because vampires can run at like 90 miles an hour. I don't know, some large, some high speed. Alice, who can see the future 
FYI, has a vision, Alice Cullen, and that's that Arena went to the Volturi to tell them about Renesmee and that they are coming to destroy them. All of them, even, this part is hilarious to me, the wives. I guess the wives don't leave the Volturi Tower that often. Yeah, it's so, like a full wag situation. Yeah, the Volturi are bringing the wags. Real housewives of, where? what city do they live in? Voltron or something like <laughs> Voltron that? Voltron is not a city. No, but they live in, no, it's, what, it's a fine, name. look it up. It doesn't matter. They Wait, live in let Vol- me have your phone okay. while I... They okay. live in Voltron. It's Volta, Vol- Mars I'm, Volta. No, I'm Googling uh, Volturi City. Why were you Googling Misophonia? It's called Volterra. Volterra. Also, so not Voltron. I love getting on Alex's phone because seeing the most recent things that you looked at on Wikipedia is always very funny. Sometimes you just look up like wind. <laughs> I like to learn. I know you do. I like that about you. So the Volturi are coming and... They don't plan on taking any prisoners because also the Cullen clan is one of the larger clans. So the Volturi see them as a threat to their power. And they want to acquire Alice. Right. Yeah. The Volturi also like to pick up souvenirs, X-Men with like cool abilities. So the Cullens start to gather reinforcements for the confrontation. The plan isn't to fight the Volturi, though. Because they know that's impossible because the Volturi have like the biggest, baddest vampires ever. So they start gathering friends and others to serve as witnesses to tell the Volturi that Renesmee is not an immortal child. But there's all kinds of like weird vampire tactics that have to go into this because the Volturi like aren't showing up to like start off with small talk. So anyway, there's lots of strategizing. Not very long after all this goes down, Alice and Jasper bounce, though, leaving a written note saying that they had no other choice but to leave. And the note is on a page from the bup bup motherfucking Merchant of Venice by William Shakespeare. Bella's freaked out. She feels like she wants to cry, but she physically can't. Yeah, nightmare What the fuel. fuck? Because vampires don't have fluids. Except for cum, Except apparently. for semen, apparently. And venom. Vampire venom. So, ugh. Bella goes and finds her copy of The Merchant in Venice, which I guess is on the Italian-looking bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) Fittingly. And inside, she finds the contact information for a person named Jay Jenks in Seattle with a note that says, destroy this. So Bella burns her copy of The Merchant of Venice. There's a vampire party. The Cullens, like, call in all their favors and start bringing in, like, vampires from near and far and the Cullen house becomes kind of like this like headquarters and Renesmee wins over pretty much everyone who comes to visit. Stephanie Meyer handily provides a vampire index. So there's a coven that comes from the Amazon. They're referred to as Amazons, even though that's like something else entirely. That's like Greek mythology. So that's weird. Their names are Kachiri, Senna, and Zafrina. Zafrina is kind of the main one. She, her power is to like make other people cause like visions. So she's like augmented reality. No, she's more virtual reality. Yeah. She's like Oculus vampire. (laughs) So she's cool. And Renesmee especially loves her because she can like show her pretty pictures, but she can also show you like fucked up shit. Yeah. Like tub girl or something. Oh my God. When is the last time anyone mentioned tub girl? Don't look this up also. Or like goatsy. Anyway. I know about gross stuff on the internet. <laughs> so Zafrina's a shit poster. No, Zafrina's no. awesome. She's Zafrina one of my rules. favorites. 
There's the Janale Coven, which they consider their, like, cousins, and that includes Eleazar, and his power is, like, to recognize talent in, like, other vampires and, like, know about it. So he's, like, vampire, like, talent. He's, like, recruiter. He's, like, a recruiter. Yeah. (laughs) He's, like... Like a scout. Your people. He's, like, a vampire people partner or something. I don't know. And there's also Kate, and she can just zap people. She's zappy. It's like she's been rubbing her, like feet on a carpet for a really long time but like (laughs) all the time and super powerfully so and then tanya and then there's a coven from egypt which includes amen who's grumpy he's grumpy and then his like protege benjamin who can control the elements played by rami malik yeah what who is it turns out i had never believe it or not i've read this book a bunch of times i had never seen this movie i had no idea that fucking rami malik was in it he's the best part of this he's movie. quite good in this movie actually and he he's can just, manipulate like, the elements does a lot with his face there's a coven from ireland wait no it's not just benjamin and it's her his like mate oh there's kebby and tia yeah neither of whom talk no tia's like okay kebby never talks i don't remember a lot of these tia is like benjamin's mate and she's like fine and kebby is silent also there's this kind of corny joke where they're like bella and jacob are driving along and jacob's like oh there's so many vampires like i hate it you need an index to keep track of them all. And then there's like an asterisk and it's like vampire index on page whatever. Page 9,000. I thought it was like. kind of, I chuckled. I must say I chuckled. But okay. I also chuckle at New Yorker cartoons. So. God, you really do these I'm days. aging rapidly. There's a coven Not from Ireland. Not as rapidly as Renesmee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love the Irish there's vampires. There's a couple, Maggie. Maggie can tell if she's being lied to. So she's like a truth detector. Siobhan is the leader of the coven. And Liam. Her hard-faced mate. I don't know what Liam can do. Mm-mm. Liam can, like, do a merry jig. Or, I don't know, what Irish people do. I don't know. Fine gold. That's leprechauns. <laughs> yeah, that's leprechauns. <laughs> Those are Irish. Liam's power is he can stop people from finding his lucky charms. Or whatever. Some creepy-ass Romanians show up. Oh, Stephen, I love the Romanians. Stef- is, I think it, is it Stefan or Stefan? S-T-E-F-A-N. I think it's Stefan. Stefan. Fork's hottest club is... The Cullen's house. The Cullen's house. This place has everything. (laughs) Animatronic baby from nightmares. Anyway, go on. And Vladimir. Uh, The Romanians, they're they're like kind of important. They like want to show up. They weren't invited. They want to show up because they hate the Volturi because they kind of used to be in charge back in the medieval days. But the Volturi overthrew them. So they're just like the peanut gallery, like commenting on like everything that goes down. And they're like the fucking vampire Statler and Waldorf. And or so whatever. I was about to make that yeah. joke, but they are. <laughs> they even kind of look like Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, they're supposed to be kind of waxy and like old, like just really ancient. Yeah. So that's who shows up. That's not oh, everyone. Oh, no. Then there's also nomad vampires. They don't belong to a coven. Uh, one of them is Garrett's. He, like, he really loves challenges. He's, like, a life hacker vampire. But he, like, fought in the Revolutionary War. Yeah, which we only find out later. He's through, a patriot. Like, it's implied. And then there's Mary, Peter, Charlotte, and Randall. Do you remember Randall? No, I just, those are Jasper's friends. So they're all kind of fucked up and, like, a little bit, like, Who the I don't fuck know. is Randall? I just, there's a vampire named Randall? Yeah. No remember, one... they're the ones that say they won't fight the Volturi. They'll, oh, they'll, they'll just witness. They'll, they'll witness. like, if shit, if shit hits the fan, like. like they're bouncing. Yeah. But they're all Jasper's, like, shady friends. God. It's like Jasper's friends from, like, back when he was, like, a club kid. That's so Randall. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's two European nomads. 
No, there's three European nomads. It's funny because there's an asterisk on some of them. It says there's like asterisks and dashes in this vampire index. Uh, Also, truth be told, this is the first time I've looked at the vampire index. So an asterisk says vampire possesses a quantifiable supernatural talent. I like that there's unquantifiable supernatural talents. And then there's like dashes which show that they're in like a bonded pair, Mm. which is like a funny way to describe it to me. You see that on like Pet Finder. (laughs) It's like two kittens. Yeah. There's European nomads. There's Charles and McKenna. I don't remember what Charles can do, but he has an asterisk. It says he has a power. And Alistair, Carlisle's like weird friend that he's like kept in touch with. Alistair, I don't know. He's kind of like the C-3PO vampire. He's like super freaked out about all this. And British. He's British. He hates everything. And he just hangs out in the attic and complains like the whole book. Yeah, Alistair rules. Alistair fucking rules. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to lose my voice before the end of this. And that's what happens in the first chapter. (laughs) No, No, we're like three quarters. No, no, we're, we're, yeah, we're up to the vampire party. So a lot of the vampires let Renesmee touch them and it shows them the truth. Others just take the Cullen's word for it. Bella is revealed to be immune to the other vampire gifts, just like she was when she was a human. Recall, Edward can read minds, but Edward was never able to read Bella's minds. Eleazar, our HR guy, <laughs> suggests that maybe Bella can like extend her like powers to protect others and be it's something vampires like know as a shield. Uh, so Bella starts to like practice using her powers to protect others. There's lots of like rubber band metaphors. Like the rubber band gets like stretched out, but if it stretches too far, then it like snaps back. The rubber band metaphors get stretched a little far, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> as metaphors. Eleazar also explains that like, yeah, the Volturi are just using the Renezme stuff as a pretense to wipe out the Cullens and like recruit. Edward and Alice. At some point, there's this whole side quest where Pella goes to see Jay Jenks. There's some, like, faux noir shit. She has to, like, meet a middleman in an alley, and I don't know. It's honestly irrelevant. To make a long story even longer, Alice arranged for Jay Jenks, who's this, like, sketchy lawyer that they use, like, every now and then for stuff to get fake passports and other documents for Renesmee and Jacob to flee the inevitable vampire slaughter. So Bella's like... Oh, bummer. That means Alice knows that Edward and I are going to die and we're not going to, like, spend eternity with our daughter. You, so that's sad. He's a forger. Like, he's not a lawyer. He's maybe also a lawyer. But, like, Jay Jenks is primarily, like, a very, very, very expensive and skilled forger. Yeah. Do you, do, is that something that you understand? Yeah. Okay. No, I get it. Seems he's pretty... also very afraid of Jasper, which is actually, there's, very, there's <laughs> the scenes where he talks about Jasper in the book is, those are very funny. Because Bella's like, yeah, honestly, Jasper's freaky as hell. And I remember that he's got like a stomach ulcer. Yeah, from Jasper. And he thinks that Bella's super hot. Because she is. Right. But he's also like, whatever Jasper is, you also are. And that makes me feel like I'm going to die a lot of the time. But otherwise, this part of the plot's pretty janky. <laughs> so that's Jay Jenks. It's Christmas time. They spend it with Charlie and... Ba-ba-ba, motherfucking Sue Clearwater. Who's Charlie's new girlfriend. Yeah, so that's really nice. Jacob gives Renesmee a promise ring. Ew. She's like six months old Yeah. at this point. So everyone thinks that's a cool and normal thing for Jacob to do. Alistair bails. Bella keeps practicing shielding. They like work on vampire strategy stuff because the Volturi, when they strike, they strike quickly. 
There's these two freaky Volturi twins, Alec and Jane. Alex makes everyone go like blind and numb and Jane causes like pain. So basically the fight's over before it starts. Wait, no, there's one even scarier one. Who's the one that breaks the bonds between oh, loved ones? I don't know. That's the scariest one vampire of, the, of all. Yeah, one of the dick, one of the... I'm going to look it up. Dickish vampires. No, there's a Volturi who's... The scariest power of all is the Volturi who can sense bonds and like break them up. Let that be a lesson to you, to all of us. So on the day that Alice like predicts that the... I think they... Is this Marcus. from the movie? Marcus. Yeah. What a douchebag, Marcus. So I, I forget, is this something that happens in the movie or in the books? What? They know when to go out and face the Volturi. Oh, yeah. Like no, Alice, Alice says that it's they're going to show up the first time the snow sticks on the ground. Okay. That's in the books, too? Yes. All right. We just watched the movie, so. I just read the book. <laughs> so they go out into some field somewhere. Imagine if you were a hiker, like, seeing this. To confront the Volturi after the snow sticks. Bella counts 32 Volturi against 19 fighters on the Cullen side, but the Volturi have brought back up. The Volturi brought their own witnesses to see what they're about to do to the Cullens, I guess to like cement their authority. 16 werewolves appear, which I think, yeah, that gives, that pretty much brings it, what's 16 plus 19? 35. I can still do math. Sort of. Giving the Cullens like a numerical advantage. The Volturi come to a stop. There's also a bunch of new young werewolves because, like, werewolves are born when there's, like, more vampires around. So it's a lot of new wolves. Carlisle, the dad of the Cullens, and Aro meet in the middle of the field to parlay. Oh, Aro is the chief of the Volturi. He is, like, vampire president. Head Mugwump. Yeah, he's the boss. He's the dude. Aro reads Edward's thoughts and realizes that they're telling the truth about Renezme, but the Volturi are still divided about what to do next. There's just like the whole rest of this book. There's not an epic battle. There's just a lot of conversations. Caius, who's like, is he? Main. Is Caius the second in command? I think Caius and Marcus are like of equal. Yeah, they're like the right and left hand. Caius is like more of a dick. Yeah, Caius thinks the Cullens are trying to like pull something over on them. Also, they're, like, very freaked out about the presence of all these werewolves. Caius calls them, quote, children of the moon, unquote, and says they've been the Volturi's enemies since, like, forever. Edward then clarifies that, no, these aren't real werewolves. They're shapeshifters who've inherited their, like, shapeshifting power from their fathers. So, like... They just, like, happen what to the be wolves. fuck? They're wolves? So there's, like, also real werewolves in this universe? But we never meet any but of them. But these aren't that. And this is dropped in in like the last tenth of the book. Yeah. It's like, BT dubs, there's werewolves, but these weren't werewolves. They're this whole other thing. <laughs> We're not going to get into it yeah. at all. <laughs> so the Volturi's witnesses are like starting to waver throughout this and are like feeling very confused. Caius calls on Arena to testify. She's like, my bad. I thought Renezme was an immortal child, but she's actually this whole other thing. Caius then executes her on the spot which freaks out the Volturi's witnesses. Aro then he takes another tack and he starts interrogating the witnesses that the Cullens have brought about Renezme. He says because they don't know what she'll become, she might still be a threat. He also says that basically with like advances in human technology, humans now have the power to destroy the vampires if they discover their existence. So like it's more important than ever for us to keep things secret. So humans have nukes basically. 
I don't know how you'd nuke one vampire, though. No, they're going to nuke Volterra. Uh, a vampire nomad with the Cullens named Garrett. Oh, we talked about Garrett a little bit. He's He gives this, like, rousing speech to the Volturi witnesses and says you should, like, throw off your chains because the Volturi are going to kill you, too. And the Volturi, they haven't come for justice. They're just here for power. And the Cullens are, like, a real family. They're bound by love. They're not like other vampire covens with like all this infighting and basically freedom aro says ah still a patriot i see once again something way more interesting is happening off stage yep. than is actually happening here the volturi seem poised to fight but they're alarmed by bella's shield which is now like protecting everyone because bella like figured out how to project her shield through like lots of practice and there's like a whole training montage that we haven't discussed and we will not discuss because we all know what training montages are and how they work the volturi are divided they leave the decision to aro who says he needs to be assured that renesme is no threat then alice and jasper return as if from nowhere they've been scouring the earth it turns out for proof that renesme is like chill they have brought a young man from south america He's not actually a young man. He's like 100 years yeah, old. He, yeah, okay. He appears young to us mere mortals. His name is Nawel. He's a member of the Mapuche people, which are a real indigenous group in South America. They primarily live in Chile and Argentina throughout Patagonia, basically. So not the rainforest. Yeah, I was going to say. Does she say they're from the, the she Amazon? She basically says they're from the Amazon, which is like, I mean, not there's what, like, like Patagonia is the literal desert, right? Uh, or the grass, I don't know. Yeah. The grasslands. It's not I the Amazon. Know. I know that we, we have Argentinian, Argentinian and Chilean listeners, so please fill us in on the Mapuche people. So anyway, once again. Actual tribe. Stephanie Myers. Actual like, human <laughs> beings from an actual Here's indigenous some native community. people um, that I'm going to graft some legends onto. This one's actually less egregious because it's like a one-off. So Nawel is the son of a vampire man and a human woman, his like fucked up vampire dad was like trying to create some kind of like super race. So he's impregnated. He was going around impregnating humans. His mom died giving birth. And then Nawel bit his aunt who became a vampire who then raised him. So I guess vampire human hybrids can like create other vampires. I don't know what happened to the dad. Is he still out there or did he get destroyed? No, he's still out there. All right. So they're they like, like, they're estranged. The Volturi, yeah, basically. But the Volturi are like, we're going to need to find this guy <laughs> at the end. Aro pulls out his, like, to-do list. Yeah, no, but actually that's what happens. <laughs> so Nawel explains that he reached maturity at seven years of age. Ew. And that he hasn't changed since. So he grew up super fast. And now he's just, for all we know, immortal. But we don't, I think, know for sure, for sure. But he stopped aging. So Aro and the Volturi are like, well, all right then. I guess our work here is done. And they leave. And it's fine. It's just over. Edward says they might come back. Their confidence is shattered. But when they do, we know we have lots of friends and we'll all stand together. So yay, friendship is magic. Everyone celebrates and they post-game the fight. Some say the wolves made the difference by, like, giving the Volturi pause. Edward thinks it was Bella's shield. Probably it was a combination of many different factors. Nawel hangs around for a while and he keeps staring at Bella, which sort of freaks her out. Edward says it's because Nawel always thought of himself as evil. 
and that he killed his mom, but seeing you and Renesmee has like changed his perspective on life. So now he doesn't hate himself anymore. So oh, Nawel also is like super interested in Renesmee because he's the only other vampire hybrid he knows that's not one of his like half sisters. Cause I think he made several, his dad like made several. But sorry, dude, this toddler is taken. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Nawel goes back to Chile or wherever, books the next flight to Santiago. From Seattle. Oh, we are in the home, home, home stretch. Edward and Jacob. Not Jacob. Wow. I'm punch drunk. You're also just drunk. Edward and Bella put Renesmee to bed after a very eventful day. And Bella says, you know, Edward, I've got one more thing to show you. She then extends her shield around Edward, allowing him to see her thoughts for the first time. Because remember, Edward couldn't read Bella's thoughts. So Edward can finally know how much she truly loves him. Edward wants her to do it again because he fucking loves it. Bella's like, yo, I need to practice. Like, this is actually pretty hard, but we have forever to practice. And this is in Bella's words, quote, and then we continued blissfully into the small but perfect peace of our forever, unquote. And that's what happens in Breaking Dawn. And that's it. That's the end. That's our podcast. Goodbye. We're done. <laughs> this is the end of it. Now we got to discuss it now. Nope. Goodbye. We've finished. No discussion necessary. <laughs> the book <laughs> stands as it is. It's true. <laughs> it what speaks, more could you possibly need? It speaks for itself. You know, I thought this was going to be a shorter summary. I was like, you know, I'm just going to breeze through this one. I don't want to give myself a big editing load. But there was too much good shit. Yeah, that Too was much, not just short. Strange. I don't even know how we like ephemera sort of top that with the actual conversation. I mean, we spent ten minutes on dust motes, so Well, to be fair, so did Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> First of all, a thing that you read me the like Wikipedia page. Oh, speaking of Wikipedia pages that you like to read, you read me just the Stephanie Meyer Wikipedia this morning. What oh, was the Breaking Dawn Wikipedia? Okay. So Please, the Stephanie Meyer Wikipedia page is a whole different ball thing. game yeah she surprising no one who has either read these books or listened to these fucking podcasts stephanie meyer writes minute by minute like she has trouble writing scenes you know how sometimes we're like god it feels like she's writing like just a dinner scene in real time yeah. she does that she yeah. literally does intentionally that. it turns out yes. which makes frankly a lot of sense it makes me understand a little bit more why the books are uh paced the way they are which is i would say unconventional stephanie meyer's like you want to know what it feels like to live forever (laughs) read Read one of these books yeah in interviews stephanie meyer said one of the hardest chapters for her to write was the first chapter of book three where bella is like experiencing this days-long transformation because she really struggles with that kind of zoomed out like different like broader time scales what i know there's a word for that like shifting perspective like time perspective what's the word i don't know writing yeah right she struggles with writing (laughs) it's interesting to know that because these books often feel 
transcribed in a weird way. It's just like a recitation of you somebody's You are there. You're a dust day. mote on the wall. You are one of Bella's dust motes. And it turns out that's like a deliberate stylistic choice, which is sort of mind melting. So here's another interesting thing about Stephanie Meyer's perception versus our own. I remember even the first time I read this book, it's embarrassing how many times I've read these. Whatever, they're mesmerizing. But sort of like dust motes, honestly. <laughs> Reading this book is like staring at a dust moat for While so you're long high that you as become fuck. transfixed. Yeah. That you become, <laughs> that it's all you can think about and it's all you can see. It fills your field of vision. <laughs> Which honestly these days is all I need. So what I was going to say is I remember the first time I read this being like, this is the only time I've ever liked Bella. It's wild to me that an author would choose to make her character like literally bearable for about 125th of her entire book (laughs) series. I just you read that like the first chapter where she goes on a hunt and you're like oh okay if the whole book was about this girl I maybe I would have liked it. Yeah now that Bella can do shit to me she's more interesting. I guess she doesn't have the kind of yearning... No, but she's, she's not in like peril in the same way, like she's, but she's she participating like... in her own life. Yeah. So it turns out though that Stephanie Meyer finds her less relatable in the in this chapter than in any other part of the series. <sighs> Stephanie Meyer likes her less, which is mind-bending to me. Right. Because she's like, well, now she's just super powered, so there's no peril. But I like the role reversal where Bella is now calling the shots in a lot of ways. Yeah. And where Edward's safety and everyone's safety depends on Bella. I like, that's a nice little turn on. It's true. Although she does still suffer from sort of paralyzing self-doubt. What's a hero without a little bit of self-doubt? I don't know. Cool. (laughs) Like. Han Solo. James Bond. Yeah. (laughs) Hercule fucking Poirot. That's true. That actually. No no self-doubts. Here are the two things that I can physically withstand in the bad, bad times. I can, I can stand Hercule Poirot mysteries and Twilight Breaking Dawn (laughs) and Bones and Great British Baking Show. My brain is just crammed with inanity. (laughs) I think Hercule is probably the highest brow among that list, but like by a pretty thin margin. Dust motes on the Orient Express. God. Sorry, this is, like I said, this is just just a dust dust fan account now. Yeah. It's interesting, sort of ideologically, that Bella achieves her superpowers by becoming a biological mother. I, when I sort of, I was thinking about it today and I was like, ugh, is that kind of like regressive and like gender normative in a way that's annoying? But then I was thinking about, the bad times and like parenthood kind of is superhuman this is a time that has kind of drastically like shifted my I'm not a parent obviously well you all maybe don't know that we're not parents for those of you keeping score at home yeah zero zero in the child we have a Roomba that we call we our call son. him our son. It's not so even that, a Roomba. It's a Yuffie. Yeah, it's robot an off-brand vacuum. Roomba. But whatever, that doesn't make him any less special. I think it's a him. Oh yeah, it's our son. Yeah. Yeah, we have a Roomba. We call our son, but no children. Anyway, proceed, Heather. Well, so yeah, I feel like the my cynical kind of like 
hot take feminist read on this would be that there's some sort of regressive idea that this sort of defining experience of a woman's life is motherhood and that's what sort of gives her her powers. And I mean, part of me is still the person from nine months ago who would have made that point. But part of me is like, it is kind of superhuman to like, just like be the sole creator and defender of another being. So I might agree with this worldview now. Mostly because the pandemic has made me understand in a new way the immediacy of parenthood and the all the timeness of parenthood and the impossibility of being the only thing between like sort of a helpless being and like annihilation frankly like it's pretty extreme and fucked up if you think about it sort of separate from a lot of our social ideals about parenthood i find these books obviously they're traditionalist but i don't think i find them reactionary some of their love stuff is pretty reactionary yeah but there's still the found vampire families there's a lot of different kinds of families what i would Bella's say Bella's mom is not actually judged that harshly for not being that interested in like motherhood i don't think she's judged harshly at all also no. and bella most... like supports her decisions well also like the most compelling parent figure we have is charlie so we have a single father right who is a pretty non-traditional parent who is beloved and and positioned pretty explicitly as as a a loving and skilled parent yeah. in his way. And from my Wikipedia binge, I learned that Maya herself has said that like lots of different choices are valid to her. I don't think these books are very political at all. I will say I do think they continue to be pretty fucked on a lot of the things they th- they say about romantic love but I think that's less about gender and more the thing I would say about Twilight is that they're too weird yeah to be ideologically they're not dogmatic because they're just like borderline nonsense a lot of the time which is kind of refreshing I mean I think in some ways they're small c conservative but and, like, you know, they wait until marriage to consummate. But I never feel that, like, Bella's judged for wanting to, like, have sex, like, beforehand, necessarily. Well, also, I was actually thinking about this today. So they wait until marriage to have sex. But then they have mutually satisfying, pretty kinky, deliberately non-procreative sex. For the rest of time. Literal yeah, for literal eternity. forever. So it's like, in one way, it's like, yes, this is a very specifically lowercase c conservative way of looking at sex. But it's not like then they like make 30 babies and have sort of sanctified sex within marriage to like whatever, make new Mormons or vampires or whatever. (laughs) I mean, Stephanie Meyer herself is LDS. Also, like they have sex that is described as pretty deeply erotic like for the female partner in ways that are not very realistic I mean that's the always sort of the criticism around like Fifty Shades of Grey is that Christian Grey like looks at Anastasia Steele and she just like falls to bits in like orgasmic ecstasy which is like not super realistic but yeah I mean they have grown-up non-baby making sex for literal ever which is not like it's 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 not dogmatic. It's just kind of horny. 
Yeah. Like these books are more than this. This last book is just horny. Yeah, it's horny. As Which, fuck. like, again, living in the incredibly sort of like politically binary world we live in, and especially sort of occupying the politically kind of shrieking intensity of the current moment we live in, it was really relaxing to read something that doesn't really have a point of view other than just totally bizarre choices. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah, I think... Like, it's it's pretty bad. Oh, I was trying to explain this to a friend over drinks the other day, and I was saying, these books, they have an integrity to them. They do. She like, doesn't make decisions based on what anyone else will think is good. These books do not pander to me. You know, I watch no. a Marvel film, and I'm like, man, or the new Star Wars movies... And I'm just like, man, Disney has, like, focus tested this. They've, like, talked about every fucking line in this and every aspect of it, even if I like it, is, like, designed. It's like a Dorito. You know what I mean? Oh, everything yeah. About, that powder yeah, is, like, meant to Everything be. about it. Dorito scientists, chip scientists have, like, studied the crunch on this and, like, how it will, like, interact with my fucking like neurons the same and the same thing goes for like marvel movies or thing which i you know enjoy consume and sometimes enjoy i fucking hate you know them. but like twilight twilight is pandering to no one it is like i truly believe and maybe i mean i know that it, there was like editors and shit involved but like stephanie meyer hues to her vision in a way that like i mean just i raise i'm raising a literal glass right now yeah, I think I'm at a point in my life as a sort of consumer of media and culture where obviously I care about quality. Like I love to read a wonderful, well-crafted, sort of like sentence-level deliciousness book. But like recently, and I'm not going to name names because I'm not going to like trash a book that was like fine. But I read a book recently by someone who was clearly... A pretty profound, a grown-up, you know, like a contemporary literary fiction book. But someone who's clearly a, a pretty skilled writer who sort of, again, has an eye for craft, who was clearly well-trained, but it was such an MFA book. Like, every plot element was so, like, zeitgeisty and something that I had read slightly better before it's like designed like, for the blurbs. It was. It was It was like luminous and whatever. Like it was. It was written in order to have other literary fiction writers with MFAs. What's the guy that gives like Gary Steingart yeah. like a blurb too? Is that the guy that does all yeah, the blurbs? Yeah, he does. Yeah. But that's like almost as a joke to him. Well, but so I read this book and I was like, I honestly think five years ago I would have found this to be exquisite. And instead I was like, you're just writing this for people to say the right words about. And even though I know that you're skilled, like it's, it left me feeling kind of cold and like irritated. And then like the net, literally I read this very well reviewed, you know, like fucking four and a half stars on Goodread or whatever, like contemporary fiction. And then I read Twilight and I was like, fuck, I genuinely like Twilight better. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm not, stupid and I'm a good reader and I'm a pretty good writer but Twilight isn't trying to tell me something about itself by virtue of its like pedigree it's just itself and I think I'm in a time in my life where I'm like just 
Write the book you want to write. I think, Like, yeah. I'm so sick of, like, marketing. Yeah, that's that's what I like about it. It's like, this is the book, Steph. Can I call you Steph? I'm going to call her Steph because this is the book, she's my friend now. This is the book Steph wanted to write, and I think she wrote it. I think she wrote the best book she could. And I just, like... I admire and appreciate that. I give it up, that, you know? And that's, that's something <laughs> I never thought would be the case. And I really, again, I think five years ago... I was snarky and snobby and I'm still snobby. Like I come from snobs. We are as a community of price rights. My whole family listens to this and would 100% agree. We're snobs. You know that. (laughs) But I was reading like a snobby thing recently and I was like, just write the book you want. It's different than this. You don't need to use all these fucking vocabulary words. Stephanie Meyer, no vocab words. Like, it's very impressive uh, that she knows that a dust mode is called a moat. Moat, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, it's weird to have come so far in our nibbler journey that I find these to be, I find these to have more artistic integrity than like, I think almost many, anything many else I've read in 2020. Uh, Seriously. I, they that have, is a good arc. That's a good arc. That's a good twist. It's honestly a really satisfying arc. Slash nibbler. Because I don't. I am cynical and angry about so much these days and coming into the space of Twilight and not actually feeling cynical and angry at all, but feeling pretty like satisfied coming away from the finale of this book and being like, dang, okay, I enjoyed that. Nose to tail. Fair enough. Yeah. Read like fucking plowed through it. Read like my hair was on fire and emerged satiated genuinely satiated (laughs) as though i were a vampire who had eaten a hiker (laughs) i just i i this was one of my more satisfying i mean i've read some like exquisitely wonderful books in 2020 i've also read some books that gave me some of the most important ideas i've had in a really long time like i read like i read angela davis for the first time in 2020 so like obviously stephanie meyer is not the best writer i've read in 2020 but in terms of like the sort of like ratio of expected pleasure to delivered pleasure this really paid off this was fun as hell yeah i was trying to explain this to my friend over drinks well you should have i think he mostly i think he mostly agreed i don't know we'd also had a fair bit but anyway when you you're on like beer four when you like boot up the twilight when you come out with the twilight thing oh i talk to people about this at work all the time but because uh, (laughs) i think the most interesting quibbler arc is it turns out Heather and Alex are like twihards. Let's talk about the fact that they don't sleep or eat because <laughs> that's so it's Halloween. We're doing a Halloween episode. Very little about these books actually feels like horror. Edward went to Reddit slash no sleep, but it was scary stories and not about what you do if you don't sleep. What's Reddit slash no sleep? Oh, never go to no sleep wait tell me what it is no sleep is it's a reddit and it's just all scary stories and why do you go to it you're so scared of it i've never been and i never will go no don't don't you dare uh guys wouldn't it be fun if i read alex a ghost story on the air we're doing it right now no no please don't do it no i beg you i won't i literally won't sleep no it's gonna be fun no please don't (laughs) I won't read you with the anyway, scariest one. They got a no sleep. I was trying to make an internet joke. Anyway, no sleep is scary stories. They don't sleep. Also, folks, I hate scary stories. Ghostbusters is about the most I can do. You got scared of Ghostbusters. Not that scared. Okay, the River of Slime, kind of freaky. 
Don't go to no sleep. Wow, Heather just made a face. I'm going to read this all day, every day, until the election. <laughs> this is going to be my, re- this is my release valve. No, Reddit no sleep is infamous anyway. So a no sleep joke. So let's talk about how the, the fact that they don't sleep outside of Heather's mouth is just open. I'm so excited. I love scary stories. Oh, I hate scary stories. When I saw the Blair Witch Project back in like, I don't know, the 1850s or whenever that movie came out, uh, I'm very old. I feel old. When I saw the Blair Witch Project, I didn't sleep for three days, like, period. And that movie's, like, not even that scary. I watched The Ring, and then I had a mirror in my... Oh, yeah, you're scared me just telling you this. Just saying the word, The Ring. I don't know if I've ever actually told you this. Maybe I have. Because you've slept in this room. What the fuck? (laughs) So I watched The Ring, and then there's a mirror in the that like back bedroom of our house in Phoenix that looks just like the mirror that the old lady is like brushing her hair in in the video in the ring. It's like exactly the same, which my friend Joy pointed out to me. And I used to wake up and like look in the mirror and like see the lady like brushing her hair in the mirror. And like I had that night, I mean, it wasn't really, it was a nightmare, but I had like that specific sort of like just weird little fragment of a nightmare are you? I'm sorry. Spooky Halloween. No, but I just remember because there's, you know, it's that like, it's the old lady that like adopts the like weird dead girl. I haven't watched The Ring and I never will. Okay, well, everybody else who's listening to this who has watched The Ring, there's this like, you know, in the video that kills you, which like, first of all, like, it's not a good premise. It's a video that fucking kills you. Like, it's not real. Anyway, but so in the video, like the scariest thing about The Ring is just the images in the video. It's the right. only thing that's like genuinely frightening in that movie. Because, like, creepy images are very, very, very satisfying because they're, like, un, sort of untethered to anything that right. can be, like, sort of disproven. They're just scary pictures. And there's this, like, round, very old-fashioned, like, wooden, not round, it's like an oval wooden mirror. And there's, like, this, like, scary old lady, like, brushing her hair in it. She kind of looks like the Wicked Witch of the West to me. Anyway, I had, a ring, I had a mirror just like that. I would, like, wake up and I would see her brushing her hair in it, like, every night for, like, a year. Now the scariest thing about the video would be the autoplay ads before it. That's not a good joke. Of the campaign. Okay. Wow. Campaign ads. Yeah, that's not a good joke. We are. So we're talking. <laughs> we are talking about the fact that they don't sleep, that vampires canonically do not sleep or eat. Except, well, they eat. But I mean, they, they drink, but they don't. Oh, yeah, they drink. You're right. They don't eat. But also, so basically not being able to sleep, like every scene where... They should be going to bed, but instead they're just staying up. Like, gives me shivers. Like, I find that so... To me, this is one of the scariest aspects of this book. That's where we started this conversation about the scary picture in the ring. Is, like, this is the only part of this book that feels like horror to me. Is the idea... (laughs) Like, the idea of being a being... Y'all, what if you couldn't sleep? Your brain just needs to shut the fuck up sometimes. Yeah, like, oftentimes... I mean, sleep on it. There's a reason that that's... You a colloquialism. can't do the sort of processing you need to kind yeah. of remain sane. Often I feel terrible, and then I wake up in the morning and things are a little less bad. Not recently, but... Things are a little less you bad know, in the morning I than just, in the night what would, If you were a vampire, you how are they You would have to get into, c- like, transcendental meditation. I think so. Like, if I were Edward, I would meditate for, like, eight hours a day. You would have to find day. some way to simulate sleep of just 
blinking out, you know, or finding yeah. a way to like no. acquire a void. Because even if your body doesn't, right, the void is what you need. Even yeah. if your body doesn't biologically need the sort of like cell recharging. If I were listening to my own stupid inner monologue, like chatter at me 24 seven, not even a little bit exaggerating, like I would cut my own head off. I found it, I, I find it horrifying. Even in a lot of other vampire fiction, they like climb into their coffins or whatever and sleep during the day. Yeah. It is wild to me that they just, eh, they it's just the don't worst. go to bed. It's honestly the most upsetting thing. They also like the, the Cullens, they sort of nourish themselves, but they don't, cons- they don't eat for pleasure. Like they don't consume anything that from which they derive like, the pleasure of consumption. So what's interesting, I mean, this sort of hooks into this conversation about the the fact that these, the one sort of ideological, like kind of pulsing center of these books is that romantic love is the most important thing in the world. Love in Twilight is all you need. Well, so Bella decides to forego essentially all other forms of like, even like hedonistic pleasure. Because, yeah, sleeping is pleasurable. Sleeping feels great. Eating is great. Like, she doesn't need to exercise. Like, her body doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, right. all of the things that make our yeah, bodies. Yeah, there's no runner's high. They're running yeah. fast as fuck all the time. But she doesn't have, but... like, adrenaline. Like, all of the things that make our bodies feel good. She can't even cry. Which, again, what? there's like. That a, part freaks me I out. I know. There's a really intense pleasure in the release of that kind of like emotion. Yeah. The only pleasure she decides to experience for the rest of eternity is sex and love. The kind of like, and, you know, loving someone. That's nice. Okay, That's right. That's pleasurable. But we're talking about of the body. We're talking right. about the okay. ways in which bodies feel good. Corporeal pleasures. Yeah. Or uh, carnal. Carnal. But, like, there are lots of things that make human bodies feel good. I would put sleep and exercise and crying and eating in that Because even crying is cathartic. No, that's what I'm saying. All of these things make our bodies feel like bodies. Can she get massages? Or is she too, like, rock hard? No, she can't. Right. You can't even. She's like stone. She can't even get. Like, trying to massage the fucking Michelangelo's David. She can't even get, like, fucking back scratches, which are my favorite thing in the whole entire world. I know. So it's just really interesting that this decision is seen as really, like, in the world of the book, she has made a rational decision to decide to just only fuck forever, which is, like, also great. But not the the, the primacy <laughs> of a romantic love, but b of like physical lovemaking as like the main way in which a body sort of like fully become itself is I don't know. It's weird to me. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Even our limitations, there's like pleasure of being like really exhausted after like a long run, or they don't need to bathe. Yeah, they don't even get tired from sex. No, they're not they even don't. tired after boning that hard, after destroying a house. No, exactly. They're just I like, all right. I actually think the idea of your body feeling pretty much the same all of the time, except like when you're having sex, like to me, that's nightmarish. So the fact that that's like <laughs> posited as Bella's like heaven, I find that's the part of this book that's the creepiest. It's also, so speaking of kind of the, the romantic love theory, there's this part it's a line, it's like a longer conversation in the book, but then it's a line in the movie where Edward is basically talking to Carlisle and he's like, 
I feel guilty because I fell in love with a mortal and then like everybody I have ever met like put their lives in danger. Their afterlives or their undead lives. Yeah, but still their existences. Their existences. existences. Yeah. That's sort of mincing words. But anyway, so Edward is like, I like asked literally everyone that I feel a personal connection to on the planet. This is in the book too? I think there's some version of this in the book. It's longer. But either way, they do it. Yeah. But he's like, you know, I, as in one individual, fell in romantic love with one other individual, and then everyone I've ever cared for decided that it was worth dying for that. I feel a little guilty about that. And I'm like, yeah, correct. No, that's a little much. And Carlisle's like, well, everyone has a right to happiness. And I'm just like, I don't actually know that that worldview is like accurate. And there's no way that's what Carlisle the character thinks. Like there's no like character consistency in that statement. Right. Because Carlisle like believes in the greater good. Dude, that dude took the Hippocratic Oath. It's not outside the realm of possibility in Vampire Land that someone he knows knew Hippocrates. That's true. You know what I mean? Like helped Hippocrates come up with that. Carlisle, Hippocrates predates Carlisle, but you know what I mean? So Bella, in the context of this series, is framed as pretty selfless because she'll, like, do whatever it takes to protect the people she loves. But, like, they invite all of these people-eating vampires to their house and are like, the only rule is, like, don't eat anyone we personally like. The Fork City Limits, no bueno, but, and La Push. But otherwise, you know, uh... You got the rest of Washington, and I guess... The world. Who, British Columbia? <laughs> uh, so... That's fine. It's like, these aren't actually very ethical beings. How many people were murdered? Because there was this vampire party. Yeah. No, it's... A lot. Yeah, it's like, fucked. And, I mean, among other things... We kind of understand the experience of becoming a werewolf as kind of traumatic and like physically demanding and upsetting and difficult for young people. So all these vampires turn an additional like half a dozen Quileute boys, boys, they're like eight and nine and ten years old and girls anyway, but children into werewolves, which kind of fucks up their lives. So, I mean, it's just these people aren't altruistic and there is it's a really selfish worldview of like do whatever you need to do for your immediate brethren but they don't care about just the world or I mean, like it's people in general yeah, even the cullens they've made this choice they're not going to take human life but they don't seem that concerned about other vampires yeah, they don't doing fucking it. proselytize like they're yeah. not out here evangelizing they just keep like their, the preservation their their hands clean Right, which is in a way sort of like not that much more like moral than. Right, they're not working for uh, kind of, like structural like, change. Exactly, they're kind of goody two shoes. They're like the folks. They're like, well, I have my reusable like tote bags, so I don't have to like push for like carbon taxes. Anyway, it's just interesting because I think selfless Bella is like kind of a lie. Well, I mean, look at what she plans to put her parents through. They kind of find, like, a compromise Well, and they don't. Like, Jacob does that. Because I actually think Jacob is a pretty, like, one of the more ethical characters, aside from the fact that he wants to marry a baby. (laughs) But even that... He also kisses Bella against her will. Yeah, that's not great. But even that, there's this weird... One of the weirdest kind of worldviews, like, active in the Twilight universe is that most things are out of our control. 
So I listened to the Dear Prudence podcast, which is on Slate, and it's um, Daniel Lavery, Danny Lavery's sort of like advice podcast. And one of the things that I love about that podcast, I promise this has a point, (laughs) is people write in about, you know, being swept up in various sort of romantic entanglements and how they know they're hurting people, but like it just happened and like what do they do now? And one of the things that Danny is really good about that it's like I feel like I've learned a lot from is he's like, love doesn't like happen to you. You could feel romantic love for someone, but it doesn't cancel out your ability to like make choices. Like this, and it is a narrative, and I feel, you know, I think about it a lot. It's a story and I think Girls more than boys just because romance is like marketed at girls and women more than boys and men. But one of the things that we're taught that I think is really disempowering is that like the second you fall in love, you sort of cede control over your decisions to the like puppet master that is like romantic love. And that you can't be held responsible for your actions and that hurting people is sort of par for the course because you like have every right to pursue single-mindedly the object of your romantic love and it's like such a weird bad message because it's like you can fuck people over while you're in love i'm very glad these books did not exist while i was a teenager because that would have been very seductive to me i remember reading ethan Frome and telling my english teacher i said something like ethan Frome and like maddie should definitely be together and Mrs. Pelkey was like, you have misread Ethan from. <laughs> <laughs> well, so no, I feel like I feel like a lot of young people read Twilight and they think Bella and Edward have a perfect romance. And I, as an adult reading it. So even though we just said we think that these books have a certain kind of integrity, I think the thing that's so weird about these books is everything in them is great except the central plot, which is this love story. <laughs> Which I hate. With other than other than the central plot, Mrs. Lincoln. But kind of <laughs> yeah. though, like we're gonna get to this. I would read. I would read a series about every vampire in these books, and I just except don't, for Edward I and Bella. Don't care about Bella and Edward. <laughs> I don't care about them. And so I think as young people, you read this and you you are sort of asked to believe that these people are making these vampires whatever these beings are making sort of like necessary choices in pursuit of their all-consuming passion and that's a bad message because that's how people do things like have affairs and think it's fine that they're like fucking their spouses over because like it's passion and it's like you still have to be like decent to other human beings like even when you're in love and that's the thing that I like about Danny Lavery's advice is he's always like you don't get to just like be like a turd to people (laughs) because you like love one person like that's not real it's like not an actual like moral like standpoint and that's the moral standpoint of these books that's very annoying so for example let's talk about this fucking imprinting situation (laughs) that's the the sound I have to make about that well here's the thing that's so interesting it's like okay you're reading the second you're reading the, the half of this book that we're in and if I was reading it sort of very far separate from the last time we read it and so Jacob is like you know we can't help it like you know it's it's like not in our control and so there's sort of this sense that Jacob is experiencing something that like very broadly is just like hard to deal with and therefore we can sort of be forgiving of him but then I'm like no Steph Meyer like decided it was like this like she <laughs> She, like, 
like made this whole thing up. These are like, your choices. She like chose. <laughs> you chose creepy. You chose that. Uh, how old is Jacob at this point? He's a year younger than Bella. He's sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, you chose that a seventeen-year-old would fall in love with a baby. Like it's like you could have done anything with this and what you decided was to make it maximally upsetting (laughs) and we're still supposed to find this character charming and lovable and like Uh, relate to his choices what i hate is just that it's framed that renesmee doesn't have any choice in this you know she can't change her mind right they're just destined so and it's further framed that if she changes her mind she will so destroy like murdering jacob yeah exactly which within the rules of this universe it is i mean they express it that way pretty literally also we learn that narwhal is not well narwhal is what i'm gonna call him (laughs) (laughs) also we learn that narwhal reached physical maturity at age seven and so the only question you can possibly ask as a reader of twilight colon breaking dawn part two is are they gonna fuck when she's seven like is he gonna marry a seven-year-old because she's technically physically mature his yeah her like and we're supposed to kind of understand that She's aging very rapidly mentally as well. But even well, so, like, part of age is just like the accumulation and like accretion of experience. Yeah, even if you were seven and your mind, your kind of ability to absorb your mental faculties were like well, that's skipped, why even if you'd skipped a lot of like phases of development. You know what I mean? And you kind of had the like mental capacity of like an adult i don't even know this is probably like i'm mangling so much like child development theory but i think people can kind of follow what i'm saying you still have seven years of experience on the planet for example like we're meant to understand edward as sort of like the reverse case as much older than 17 right edward because of the accumulation of a hundred years of life experience is not read as a teenager he has a teenager's hot, hot bod. If you take then Stephanie Meyer, the like null case of the universe in which like Edward is an old soul, even physically mature seven-year-old Renesmee is a child. I mean, uh, I don't know, man. It's so gross. It's, what do you even say about this stuff? I, I just, my question is like, Clearly Stephanie Meyer thought, I mean, the thing that's that's interesting to know, having learned a little bit more about her as a writer, is she thought really hard about these books. So sometimes you get to a plot point and there's like, the fact that she thought a lot about it and did it anyway is like worse. <laughs> it's like one thing if it's kind of thoughtless and you just didn't do the math, but it's another thing if you're like, oh, you, this is on purpose. Apparently she was inspired by Midsummer Night's Dream in the but imprinting. I know, but isn't the whole thing about Midsummer Night's Dream that those are like, that ultimately ends up being like fake? Like I feel like Shakespeare is not, like doesn't bot- actually view that story as very romantic. Bottom doesn't end up with, is it Titania? Yeah, whatever her yeah. name is. The fairy queen, though. Yeah. <laughs> they don't get together. <laughs> no. Imprinting in Midsummer is a it's a it's fodder for a pretty extended 
visual joke. Yeah, it's for comedy. Yeah, it's, it's literally for the lols. Uh, so watching Midsummer, I mean, I guess technically whatever. She he puts the like flower juice in the lover's eyes, and like the right lovers end up together, which I think is more what she's referring to. Because right, right, don't the couples are like all yeah, scrambled all overnight, scram- you know, and some... then like, but even then, like I don't, I have never read that play as particularly romantic. That's one of those plays where like you sort of peer back into the world of the play like a year later and it's like these people were not in love. <laughs> oh, and Shakespeare knows that. You know what I mean? fools these mortals be. I mean, but literally. It's the only line I know from that play. And yeah, Fairy Queen does not actually want to have sex with a donkey. She's being fooled. It's just his head that's a donkey. Okay, well. And it's for lols. Yeah, no, it's a joke. It's a full joke. (laughs) I find Renesmee's rapid aging really sad because her and her parents don't get to experience the fullness of growing up. They have her as a newborn for... Bella basically misses the entire experience of having a newborn because when she wakes up, it's a week later or something like that, and she's already, like, basically a year or two years old yeah she's a toddler yeah and then i mean if you had seven years and you're an adult yeah to me that reads is really tragic even if she does live for hundreds of years i wonder if it's supposed to be a metaphor for the experience of parenthood yeah that was kind of my thought i can never tell this is what's so like disorienting the idea of about it these slipping books. away it's like oh yesterday you were only a baby and now you're graduating high school You know, I can never tell with Stephanie Meyer, what's so discombobulating about the Twilight books is I can never tell if Stephanie Meyer is doing something astute and interesting or if it's just batshit crazy by accident. That is one of the things that makes it different from Harry Potter. Usually you can tell, even, you know, as much as we've been sort of like finding fault with some of the places that J.K. Rowling's thoughts take her, you can tell she's thought a lot about stuff. You know, like done a ton of research, understood a lot of different kind of cultural traditions oriented toward the same thing. And Stephanie like has to some extent, but then sometimes you read something and you're like, is this a metaphor or is this just something you thought was going to be fun? And it turns out it doesn't work very well. (laughs) I don't know. Just I think it's a bummer. Also interesting that babies and toddlers with supernatural intelligence are often read as freaky the kind of precocious child. And in this, the child is very charming and wins over everyone immediately. Like, it's interesting. I don't know if it's interesting. It stood out to me that the Denali clan and the other vampires are taken with her instead of being sort of repelled, which is usually the case. One thing that Stephanie Meyer does, I actually think pretty well, is take horror tropes and sort of if you lived inside of the horror world, how would your perceptions be different? You know, she takes sort of ideas about like otherness and examines ways in which like if you were yourself other, those sort of so-called horror images would be endearing or sort of charming. It's like, almost, I mean, in some ways it's like what we do in the shadows does, <laughs> but not as comedy right. as as much more sort of like, melodramatic played very straight yeah played like overly straight because the precocious child i feel like is a great example of something that's pretty universally creepy in kind of mainstream culture and having this child be i mean not just sort of accepted but become like almost like 
the, a, a goddess. Like yeah, there's the there's child like a, with adult like intelligence right. is like men is often menacing or like in Dune, Paul's sister Aaliyah becomes an adult in the womb through various like spice machinations and all the Fremen who are, this isn't a Dune podcast. Basically people are put off by her. She's kind of freaky and ominous and she is and she isn't in the end, but it's like that. Okay. Spoiler. Renesmee though, equals Aaliyah in Dune. Can, but if not you really. all have read Dune or if you have thought ever about reading Dune and you think the Quibbler should be a Dune podcast, can you please send us an email or a DM or a tweet or something because that's a that's a remote possibility. The a, spice. a Dune podcast is a possibility. The spice must flow, which isn't actually a line in Dune. It's from the critically panned movie. So, but it has survived in the cultural zeitgeist. Quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Yay or nay on this is now a Dune podcast. Beer is the mind killer. Also, we have to wait a year now because of the pandemic for the cute guy to be Paul. What's his name again? Uh, that cute boy. What's that cute boy's name? French boy. Timothée Chalamet. Yes. And Zendaya. Oh, I love Cheney. Zendaya. Zendaya was person of the year two years running at Time for Kids. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, she deserved it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> this is another instance, and we're gonna we're about to talk about like every single one of these instances where the thing that's the most frustrating about Twilight, everything happening off page is always the most interesting thing happening in Twilight. So they tell they very briefly tell the sort of legend of the immortal children. And I'm like, again, why am I not reading that? Book? Yeah, that's actually why am horror. I reading about these like moony, inane, like teenage fuckers? <laughs> I am I just I don't yeah, care. I the want vampire to babies read. that kill whole villages way more interesting. I want to read the Immortal Children series. So, which brings us to and the vampire. parents that love them regardless. Oh, it's so good. It's so interesting. It's so much more interesting than yeah. teenage love triangle. Which brings us to Vampire House Party. Which you love the Vampire House Party. I have to tell you, for all of the times that I have totally unironically thoroughly enjoyed the twilight saga yeah i fucking love vampire house party i find these scenes just just top to bottom fun i love <laughs> all of these weird vampires i love montages it's funny that she writes montages like usually montages are sort of a film treatment it's not actually a montage it's but actually it, still pretty blow by blow she gets it down in so i was wrong to describe it as a montage no, but they are training montages. Kate. Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, okay, I mean, but it's enough. like various scenes of her yes. practicing. Mm -hmm. But I just, why are the worst characters the main characters? I don't know. Like, you read about, like, Benjamin for a paragraph, which, first of all, Rabbi Malik, ugh, a joy, a joy, a full joy in this movie. And you're like, I wish I was reading the, the Benjamin Chronicles. <laughs> or the fucking Romanians. The Romanians, they're so, I love how weird and just extra they are. And I love Renesmee's attraction to them. She just likes to toddle over and hear them say like spooky shit. Yeah, I like that Renesmee actually does have a pretty healthy and well-developed sense of the macabre as a toddler. <laughs> She's just like, these guys are creepy and I love it. And I like that they in turn find her very creepy and they just have this very creepy symbiotic like... <laughs> Fun. It is fun to have vampire hecklers 
that is a very good they're just the hangers on yeah choice. it's so funny they're just like it means there's a count they're just like oh 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 we hate the Volturi <laughs> and we hope we get to kill them but they're like funny also like kate the zapper Garrett follow the zapper and the revolutionary gal and the revolutionary love. They have a really nice love story. So Garrett likes like challenges. So he's like thinking about becoming a vegetarian just because it seems like hardcore. And that's also why he showed up to witness because he thinks facing down the basically he thinks facing down the Volturi would be like a cool thing to do. Basically, Garrett just wants to feel something because wizards can't eat or sleep. They can only fuck and drink blood. I feel like Garrett reminds me in the book specifically of like a lot of the climber dudes i knew <laughs> don't fear the reaper in man Tucson. except we are the reaper i know but d- don't you feel like he has like free solo a little vibes? bit yeah mm-hmm. like garrett it's weird when he becomes a revolutionary war soldier because my favorite thing about garrett is it's just it feels like somebody who like does that like squirrel suit paragliding yeah. sport so he like he has this weird like adrenaline junkie yeah. vibe that's very again very fun he falls in love with kate the static because vampire she shocks him a bunch because she shocks him super hard and he was like that's amazing yeah so he's really fun benjamin's really fun i like the amazons like i don't even think i really want to get into how fucking weird it is that stephanie meyer thinks that tribes from brazil are called amazons like i just we're just gonna give her a pass it's a freebie we it's fine we could go here i'm not gonna we don't need even to. i mean in the film like they're dressed in sort of like they have like war paint on and like what looks like buckskin like it's just every sort of like it's weird war paint it's like weird they've got like weird raccoon masks on they just have these just every sort of stereotypical like jungle indigenous tribe but like they don't have any feathers which like there's one thing that i think is like accurate about a lot of the stereotypes it's like having like macaw feathers and shit i I don't know so i just don't even think we can spend our time here because i'm sick of i don't know honestly being angry about things in 2020 (laughs) but i will say that like zafrina and renesme again the thing that's so interesting is renesme a really fun character yeah she is like it is having precocious baby interact with all of these very magical people she's way more interesting than her parents drastically so again like let's read the renesme chronicles so her relationship with some of the creepier and more extreme vampires is very satisfying like she and safrina are like besties i even love the idea of some of the they're you know they're preparing the kind of like preparing for battle scenes where they're understanding all of the different like evil powers first of all it's like funny that like the good vampires all have like the good guy powers like the evil guy vampires all have like the evil guy powers it's like a little simple but i guess that's (laughs) just how like books work but like when they're getting ready for marcus's power there's just very interesting passages about that it's like they're prepping for pokemon battle a little bit maybe not they're just like okay so haunter is gonna come out and he's gonna use confusion so we need like uh whatever is good against ghost pokemon like i mean they kind of are though yeah (laughs) but i really and it's it's funny because marcus's power we can talk about the movie in a second 
but Marcus's power is totally missing in the movie. He sort of like starts doing his power in the movie, but then you would only notice it if like some like weird black smoke comes no, out no, of no, his hand. No, 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 that's Alec. Oh, it is? Oh, well, fuck me. So Alec is the one oh, you're right. Never mind. who makes them all blind. His power is very prominently featured keep, in the I movie. I can't keep all these No, Marcus has, straight. Marcus has the most interesting power because Marcus can sense the strength or weakness of bonds between people. Mm. So Marcus can be like, okay, these two are unshakable. Like he can look at Edward and Bella because remember in when Bella first goes to Volterra to like save Edward or whatever. Yeah. Marcus notes to Aro that they have like an uncommonly strong pair bond. Uh-huh. And like Aro is like, well, we can use that. Like it's it's important for Aro to know how sort of like preternatural the pair bond between Bella and Edward is. But Marcus can be like, for example, if Alistair was in the battle, he could be like, this guy doesn't care that much. So like if we pick him off, They'll care about him more than he'll care about them. Right. Which is like a cool, yeah, that's like a that's very good. cool psychological power. Yeah. Like to be able to tell basically like how much people care about each other because also he could be such a fun psychic because he could tell you like you love him more than he loves you, which is everybody's question in all of their relationships. <laughs> I mean, he could ruin everybody's life too, but anyway, I just, Vampire House Party is so fun. Oh, I forgot Siobhan's power. Oh, Siobhan doesn't believe she actually has a power. But Carlisle thinks she can hope for things and that they come true. No, it's not hoping. It's more than that. Like she can will it. You know what Siobhan has? Siobhan has the secret. Whoa. Do you know about the secret? I am aware of the secret. The secret is you will your desires into being with very strong like visioning so siobhan's like i want a new car so i just want to have a car in the garage siobhan is i'll make space literally siobhan is oprah all right no she's oprah because oprah like popularized the secret so the secret is all about visioning your goals and they'll come to pass (laughs) which is what siobhan does that's siobhan's power uh fun fact we have a friend named siobhan yeah which is how i know how to pronounce the name s-i-o-b-h-a-n yeah Yeah. Also, our friend Siobhan is like way more awesome than we are. Honestly, one of the coolest people I've ever met. I can't believe I know her like IRL. Foreign correspondent. Her name is Siobhan O'Grady. Please go read all of her articles in the Washington Post. She is a genius. Hello, Shiv. We love you. All right. We've we've given this book a lot of the benefit of the doubt. But one thing that annoys me is there's a lot of red herrings and just dead ends so there's this whole drama with charlie she has to go have charlie and putting contact lenses and maybe she'll eat charlie and now he knows about vampires so he's in danger he Never. doesn't really know about vampires he yeah, knows he that knows, like enough he knows that jacob is a werewolf and bella is something different but also weird right that just like doesn't really go anywhere and then there's a whole thing with jay janks they get like fake documents and those aren't even particularly fun. I guess they're kind of fun scenes. They're not very fun. I like, actually find those scenes deeply boring. We don't need them. The scenes are really fun. The scene is it's only one. The scene in the movie is really fun because the actor that plays Jay Jenks is really fun. Yeah. This is also, this is so obscure. Do you remember Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I mean, a little. Okay. Yeah. The guy that plays Jay Jenks is, there's like one episode in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where, is it Paula? Is that the like, kind of the paralegal's name yeah yeah so paula Paula, like almost has an affair with this guy 
take all of this out. Anyway, I like, <laughs> it's one of those moments where you recognize an actor. Anyway, Paula in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend like almost has an affair in a hotel with this guy that has a really beautiful singing voice and he has a number and it's really good. And that's Jay Jenks. And it was just, this is unimportant in the extreme, but it was just one of those moments where you know an actor from something so random and obscure that in a million years you don't know how to Google it. Yeah, one of the actors in the Volturi was on an episode of Bones. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was the, like, <laughs> he ghost po- sergeant. Yeah, no, no. Bo- Booth is the sergeant. He was, like, private. He was the ghost soldier. Whatever, who fucking died in Iraq or Afghanistan. And if one we don't make a Dune podcast, or even if we do make a Dune podcast, we also may make a Bones podcast, because that's the only other entertainment that I can, like, stomach right now. Should we share our high-concept no. Bones podcast? People are no. going to have to be surprised. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Okay, what are, yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to, we don't have to talk about it a lot, but just there's all these random, they're not even loose ends. They're just ends. Oh yeah, no, it's, she's not great at deciding which plot points, which is why these books are 700 pages long. Yeah, like I'm like, okay, so are the Volturi going to leverage Charlie against the Coens? Is Charlie going to die? Is that going to be a thing that happens? This book is the last book, like... What peril is there going to be? Uh, what's this Jay Jenks situation? No, it's just a. It was just like a backup plan that they never use. She introduces all. It's just eighty Chekhov's guns, and none of them get fired. <laughs> well, I think that leads us to the sort of final and one of the most important conversations about this book, which is that the ending is. The ending is shocking in exactly the opposite way that you expect it to be shocking. In the lack of shockingness? Yeah. I'm shocked that I'm not shocked. So tell tell me your experience of it. In some ways, I want to say props to this book in that I was not expecting it to end the way it did at all. I was genuinely surprised. But also, since book two... When the Volturi were introduced, we've been building up. We've expected a climatic and decisive confrontation with the Volturi. And this is not decisive at all. It's essentially they debate them to a draw, the Volturi retreat. And Edward says, oh, well, maybe they'll be back one day. Maybe not. And I mean, there's no final battle, which I have like mixed feelings about. On the one hand... I think it's kind of gutsy not to have a big blowout like we destroyed Seattle, New York, whatever major metropolitan area we are nearby battle to end it all. It's actually it's resolved through diplomacy, like diplomacy, essentially. Yeah. Uh, But on the other hand, I was expecting the Volturi to be unseated. And I don't know, I kind of respect in some ways that my expectations were confounded because that would have been the cliche thing to do right like or the way you sort of would expect this book to go i mean so i I don't know but at the same time at the risk of sort of overusing this particular cliche on this podcast like we love this cliche i mean she introduces like chekhov's arsenal like it's not a gun like (laughs) she introduces like in book two, you meet supervillains. I just think the very basic assumption of genre fiction is that eventually your heroes like battle and defeat the supervillains 
And importantly, that like there are casualties. Like to me, Irina dies. We don't care about Irina. Yeah, we I kind know. of hate we, Irina. We don't give a shit. Like the fact that there. I mean, the thing that ultimately, you know, we talked. A, we did talk a lot about the the ways in which I think these books are more genuinely pleasurable than they get credit for. But ultimately, they fail very basically as literature because it turns out there are no stakes. No one that we care about gets harmed. Or even that we hate. Well, yeah. First Except of all, the, for like one or two. One or two kind of ancillary Secondary random, baddies. Like, okay, James dies. Laurent dies. Laurent dies. Arena dies. What happens Victoria to the, Victoria dies? dies. So the, yeah. the, the three, the first book that, baddies. Yeah. That bad trio. Fam, bad coven. The like kind of nomad yeah. bad guy. And a coven. bunch of newborns. Riley dies. But. Yeah. Nobody loses. Like how, the Volturi don't lose. The Cullens don't lose. But like, how do you justify a series about supernatural warfare in which there are no losses? Like, right. it's the extent to which this series ends up being just pure, unadulterated wish fulfillment is what is so satisfying about it as like a consumer and so dissatisfying about it as a reader. I feel like I consumed these books, but literature, not just literature, like any kind of art that relies on story needs stakes and like growth. None of the characters change. Nobody changes. Bella gets the wish she had from the very beginning that she found out that Edward was a vampire. With no downsides. Yeah. Her opinion toward edward doesn't change the way she views edward her love i guess gets more intense but i mean not really it's always stated that she loves him more than anything the way she and views that's herself how we ended. doesn't yeah. change like she doesn't self-actualize uh, she like become she feels like better as a vampire but that's what she always wanted and like but even it's then, never complicated she continues her to desires feel are, yeah. sublimated to her love her desires are never her desires and her thoughts about things are never there's never any complications but to same them. with like edward doesn't grow or change no he like, just he gets what he wants jacob all he does is sort of redirect the sort of like complex unwelcome passions of earlier books to a source that like or to a an object that like welcomes them and even the volturi they don't really get their comeuppance no. they're just like well Fuck, I it's guess just, this is a non-starter for us. Weird. Let's go back and keep doing what we've always done for the last thousand this, years. These books are each, I mean, every one of these books is like seven or 800 pages long. Yeah. And you get from very first page to very last page, and it ends up being like you've read a page. Yeah. Like, I mean, Bella even, falls in love with Edward, and then Bella stays in love with Edward forever with no casualties of any kind there isn't even a shake-up in how the vampire world like lives its life like garrett the revolutionary gives this whole speech and you're like whoa this is how like all the vampires are gonna like redefine their relationships to each other and then garrett's like oh well i guess we're just gonna keep doing what we've always been doing." right nobody they don't even (laughs) convince a single vampire like to be a vegetarian (laughs) so it's just for all of the ways in which it does end up being a pretty fun and transporting content experience if you really look back on it like we have learned 
nothing yeah. from these characters. Yeah, Bella's just like... Bella, Bella learns, has learned nothing. She learns that there are vampires, but she's not like, whoa, becoming a vampire has like changed my opinions about morality and right, how no. I, I interact with the world. Nobody's, nobody's morality changes. She doesn't lose anything. Like, she even gets to keep her mom and dad. Like, it is... It's It's, it's not even lazy. It's just like, this isn't a story. Right. Like, there's like kind of basic elements of like narrative that just like don't happen <laughs> in the like 4,000 odd pages. Well, it's hilarious because it's so unfilmable that in the movie, there's this whole fictional battle sequence that takes place. They write in. Which they had to. Yeah, a whole separate. Because, you know, like you're not going to have a big blockbuster movie without like a big final battle, you know. So in the movie, Aro reads Alice's thoughts and you don't know it at the time that it's all just a vision of the future that Aro is seeing. But there's this big gigantic battle and there's casualties on both sides, but the Volturi lose and then all and then like, whoa, big reveal twist. It was all in Alice and Aro's head and it turns out the battle never happened. But then Aro calls off the assault because he's like, we'll lose at great price to both sides. But I don't want to fuck with this. But when we watched the movie the other night, I was like, this is better motivation for Aro. Like the way that they convince Aro is so Byzantine the the movie plot yeah. i mean yes obviously they had to insert an expensive violent explodey like there's at some point there's a fucking like chasm in the earth yeah. that Ray Ray Malik, Ray Malik rips like, open fucks the, everybody the shut up with crust. an earthquake yeah. <laughs> but like even as i was watching this and i was like yes it's a movie they had to do this i was like actually alice showing aro the future in which he decides to fight and him seeing that they will I don't even know that it's it's the case that they're defeated it's just that they can't the Volturi have never been threatened with any kind of loss right like Arla's like we might both kind of come away like intact but barely right because like Bella and Edward don't end up dying in the in Alice's vision either Carlisle dies first and that's actually like first of all like Carlisle dying as like the first casualty in the like imaginary battle is actually a very disturbing image. Yeah we like, were both like wait what? I was did like, they change this? I don't think he dies <laughs> but like Peter Facinelli or whatever getting his head ripped off I was like I don't like that at all <laughs> but as a as a reader and a watcher like shit is supposed to happen that you don't like like part of the right. experience of like engaging with Anything that even kind of calls itself art is that you experience like occasional discomfort that isn't just like ew, which is the only kind of discomfort I have in Twilight. The it's most, just, like, yeah, the most discomfort we feel like, is yuck. like Jacob wanting to do it with a toddler. Yeah, which frankly, it's a lot of discomfort. Yeah, I mean that's high discomfort, but also it is very strenuous to explain to us <laughs> that it's not like that. It's like, not trust, like that. Stephanie Meyer, trust me, it's not weird. But it's like, wait, uh, you could have just done a whole other thing. Why do you have to talk yourself out of this? Whatever, we already went there. Yeah. But the the, the motivation of Alice showing Aro the future in which they do kind of go to war is a much stronger and more compelling, like motivating factor for Aro. Yeah, I wasn't quite clear I, I liked we were, it. I wasn't quite clear in the book. I was like, wait, what? Why? Just, they just bounce. Yeah. They're just like, oh, all right. It's crazy <laughs> to get to the end of this 
just unbelievably long saga and have the like so-called villains just be like guess we were wrong <laughs> like, see you guys in 200 years i think it's just, and then like bella is just if like voldemort at the end of harry potter is like well you know what guys they, this has all been a very big misunderstanding and they <laughs> you know conveniently in the midst of that find out that like renesmee is not gonna die and they can they can bone forever yeah like, oh yeah the Nawell stuff it's like we haven't even we didn't even who is this character this isn't know, even like, this is barely it's foreshadowed like worse than it's any, a little foreshadowed yeah, but it's but, also worse than any possible like dobby ex machina like it's yeah. like it's so much more egregious than like the gillyweed <laughs> and, and then, then Nawell just hangs for a few days and then like bella and edward just look at each other and they're like should we just like do it for like 30 full straight <laughs> days even though we're like adult parents and then like the end and that's the end the 30 years war the 30 years bone the 30 years okay bone. speaking of the 30 years bone we gotta fucking finish this oh episode. man and then okay the ending though it's pretty satisfying is it specifically when bella is able to show Edward. Oh, her thoughts. That her is thoughts. nice. That's like actual fucking. Like, that's Edward's. That's like tantric. Yeah. Like, full on. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, I mean, that's. It's cool. It's like it, maudlin or it's like sappy, but it's like, I mean, you know, it's a nice moment. It's a good thing to end on. I, I mean, it's the thing that's nice about it is like, it's this moment where like Bella has had. It's intimate. Well, and Bella has had all of her desires like fulfilled and then some. And it's, in, it's nice to see our main character who never has any agency like understand that the person she loves most has one want which he finds impossible to fulfill and she can fulfill it for him. Like there is something sort of satisfying. But I like that he doesn't always get to see her thoughts. No, but she she offering him that as a gift actually is pretty. I think that's the only thing in this whole fucking series that I find genuinely romantic. Yeah. Because she's like, I'm not going to give you access to things when I don't want to, but I can share this with you as like a gift from me to you, which so, is romantic. So she sticks the landing. She does, kind of. Uh, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Garrett, who fought in the American Revolution. And as we have said ad nauseum, what? That's way more interesting. Dude, was it Saratoga or whatever? Also, frankly... Uh, if you're really into originalism, we could find out what the Founding Fathers actually thought from Garrett. Not that it fucking matters in many ways, because it was 200 and some years ago, but... I mean, Amy Coney Barrett would be like, oh, I didn't mean, like, literally. I yeah, to it's know. like, oh, yeah, I mean what I say the Founding Fathers thought. like please make a bunch yeah. of shit <laughs> Please don't correct me. Although I gotta say, if vampires were real and known... Mitch McConnell would for sure appoint a vampire from the 1700s to the Supreme Court. Immortal. No vacancy. Ever. My unsung hero, we didn't talk about this much because I wanted to save it for me talking about my unsung hero, is the Irish coven member Siobhan, who in addition, in, who in addition to knowing the secret, is ba-ba-ba motherfucking fat and beautiful. And described lovingly. Described over and over as a mesmerizing and beautiful, extremely fat woman. There are no beautiful fat people in Harry Potter. There are These no- books in one paragraph 
these books are more body positive than every single Harry Potter book. To be fair, there's a lot. There's, I mean, there's weird body stuff elsewhere. Like, they are very obsessed with the lightness of Bella's skin. Yeah. Backlit well, alabaster. You know. But there are also, but I mean, <laughs> Backlit whatever. Backlit alabaster. But there are vampires that are non-white that are just sort of pasty, which I just don't think she had a really good plan of how to describe, like, a black vampire. I mean, they also sparkle. I don't know. But they've got this character, Siobhan, who she describes her her undulating flesh. Like, she's she's not, like, thick. Like, this is a very fat woman who Bella describes as, like, arresting and, like, regal and extremely beautiful. We There is not a fat character, like, a beautiful fat character in any YA literature that I can think of that isn't specifically about body positivity. And this is just incidental. Yeah. Just a throwaway. This is a total throwaway, but we meet a vampire who is, like all other vampires, breathtakingly, inhumanly gorgeous, and who is described as being not just sort of like, you know, like size 10, but like she's she's fat. Yeah. I love that. I I had never noticed that before, and rereading this time, I was like, Fuck yeah, fat vampire. So she's my, um, not only my unsung hero, but like, you know, kind of my full like queen. icon. Yeah. yeah. She's my queen. This week's episode is brought to you by Jade Jenks Law Firm. If you can call it that, we'll forge it for you wholesale. Attorney at law, attorney at forgery. Attorney at scoff law. <laughs> attorney at scoff law is good. The audiobook clips that you heard are from Ileana Kadushin's performance of Twilight Breaking Dawn by Stephanie Meyer. Ileana Kadushin also voices, does some voice work in the Dune Messiah audiobook. Well, or maybe just the first Dune audiobook. I don't remember. It's a weird cross like Venn diagram of my interests. So, you know, do all the stuff you do with podcasts. You can follow us on social. I sort of refuse to be on social media lately, so you probably won't find us there for a little while. You know what you can do for us is if you are an American citizen who is able and you have not done so yet, I just honestly, like, just go vote, please. I just, my anxiety is high enough that I need to beg you to do this. Uh, bless you if you've already done so and you know we'll talk to you on the other side of this mess the next time we release a podcast it will be back to the quibbler and it will be on the chapter in harry potter and the deathly hallows called gringotts so until then my friends ciao bella behind the light i could distinguish the individual grains in the dark wood ceiling above in front of it I could see the dust motes in the air, the sides the light touched, and the dark sides distinct and separate. They spun like little planets, moving around each other in a celestial dance. The dust was so beautiful that I inhaled in shock. The air whistled down my throat, swirling the motes into a vortex. Okay, Christmas Eve, 1973. Author Stephanie Meyer, née Morgan, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, you're going all the way back to her birth, okay. And combined, they have sold more than 100 million copies worldwide. Now, have you seen any of the Twilight movies? No, I have not. Well, let me describe them to you shot for shot. Movie number one, Twilight. We slowly pan up over a mossy log to see a deer drinking crystal clear water.
and then we continued blissfully into the small but perfect peace of our forever. The end. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. Come on, man. What are we talking about? I saw his face. I gasped and then struggled with my vocabulary, unable to find the right words. I needed better words. Give me a little break here. Come on, man. 